Welcome to this Niche AudioCast. My name is Will Patch. I'm the Senior Enrollment Insights Leader here at Niche. Today you're going to hear a webinar that's been converted to a podcast so you can listen on the go. You can find all the resources that are mentioned as well as the original recording on the Enrollment Insights blog, which you can find at niche.bz insights. Enjoy. Okay, well, we will get started here because we have a lot to cover. Uh, we have several tactical insights we want to hit. Uh, and then we're going to jump right into questions. So today, uh, I'm joined here by Jeremy Tears. Uh, Jeremy, I'll let you do a quick intro. It's good to see everybody. Hopefully everybody, as Will said, is doing well on April 28th with, uh, with May 1 coming up. Just remember, it's only one day on the calendar. I am the yep. Senior Director of Admission Services at Tudor Collegiate Strategies. And we are a company that basically partners with colleges and universities to do everything from staff training to different amounts of communication work. Yeah. And I'm Will Patch. I'm the Senior Enrollment Insights Leader for Higher Ed here at Niche. I've been here about three years, uh, which is amazing that it's been that long already uh, after coming over from Manchester University for nine years there. Go ahead, a little bit of housekeeping first. Uh, just want to say, you know, these are things that often come up as questions, so we'll, we'll hit them here. This is being recorded, uh, and you'll get the recording tomorrow, along with a link to the slides and some other additional resources. Uh, just as a way of saying thanks, you'll get all that. Uh, you can also find all the original source data as well as the recording later on at the Enrollment Insights blog, which you can find using the shortened link niche.bz insights. Also going to be an audio version. If you want to listen to this again or share it with someone who loves podcasts, you can find all that Enrollment Insights podcast in your favorite app. Uh, as we head in, uh, you know, like I mentioned just a minute ago, we have new joiners, though. If you have questions, drop those in the comments on the side. Uh, thank you, Natalie, uh, saying good day to all of us here. Uh, we're going to get to those at the end. We had a lot of questions come in advance. We'll hit those first, though. Uh, we're just going to cover a few tactile points. Uh, so I'm going to hand it off to Jeremy first to get us started. You know, the first thing we're going to talk about, I feel like, Will, we've talked about uh, each of the previous few times we have done webinars. And it's something that in additional surveys we've done over the years uh, with Tutor Collegiate Strategies, partner schools, it's the number one, I would argue, or 1B action point that students continue to bring up year after year after year. And so you're going to hear us say it again today a lot, but personalization and relevancy are so important right now to this generation. We are dealing with young people, and we're all getting it, just like prospective students and parents are, where we're having so much information come at us from so many different ways every single day on our phones, our computers, right, our iPads, whatever it is. We're so used to believing so much of what we get as a mass marketing message. I think we tune so much of this out and students continue to say that's how they feel with so much of what they're getting from colleges and universities right now as juniors. Just like we saw last year, not even 20% of students said, yeah, what I'm getting right now feels like it's very personal and relevant based on whatever I have or have not done with the particular school. And so I want to give you a couple ideas and things to be thinking about right now and as we go throughout this webinar. Because if you take one piece of action, and obviously Will and I hope you take more than that, this is an area right now where you can see immediate dividends and it's really not going to be something regardless of your bandwidth, time, staffing, money, all of that, that is going to be a huge lift for you. Small changes to things like, for example, your subject line. 
it's fine to use a student's first name in the subject line. That's actually helpful. Just don't use it every single time. It's okay to use all right, your school or your school's acronym in the subject line. But again, don't use it every single time. Students go through inboxes, and I literally helped one of my neighbors do this a couple of weeks ago. They have a son who's just graduating high school where I live now, and he literally showed me the inbox, and everything runs together. All right, his name is Nick, and it was like Nick, Nick, Nick in pretty much every email, and then just different school names. Ultimately, subject lines, for example, need to feel more personal, right? So you might ask a question. You might say something that creates curiosity. Tell me how you feel, Will, question mark, if I'm sending something to Will. That might be what gets their attention and doesn't sound like something that was necessarily created for everybody else. When you talk in your email, aka you're typing it out, does it sound like you're talking with the person you're sending it to or at them? That's just another little nuance that is so important if you want the message to feel like it's personal. It should sound literally just like I'm having a conversation with you right now, like you're having a conversation with them. That means you should use words like you and I, not we and us, right? As you're looking at different colleges, Will, let me give you, that's how it should sound if you want it to feel more personal. Use little things like contractions. If you say things like have not instead of haven't, it's fine, there's nothing wrong with that. But over the course of time, it makes your message sound more robotic and more like a marketing message. That's what students tell us. And then the last thing I'll say is segmentation, right? Relevancy, they're tied right together. Meaning if you're sending the same message to juniors that you're sending to sophomores that you're sending to seniors, you're not sending relevant messaging, right? And you're not necessarily sending messaging that feels personalized. Because what's relevant to a sophomore who's just beginning their search may not be the same thing that's relevant to a senior, for example, who's already visited your campus, who's already applied. Just like if you're sending admitted students right now who haven't made a decision, the same type of messaging you're sending to committed or deposited students to help prevent melt, that's not what they need from you right now. What they need from you is help with their decision, not here are all the next steps you need to do, hurry up and go submit your deposit. If they wanted to do that, they would have done that already in most cases, I promise you. What they need help with is they don't know how to make their decision. They need that type of relevant information. And so those are just a few quick examples of little things you can be doing right now, not only to personalize your messaging, and I'm, I'm not just talking emails, it's the same thing for text messages, it's the same thing for phone calls. Quite honestly, it's the same thing for in-person. It needs to be more of a free-flowing, relaxed conversation that feels like it's just for them and you're getting information from them about things they want to know about or things they care about and then you're giving information back based on what you hear. Ultimately, as I said, the data is very clear again. Only 16% reported receiving personalized and relevant outreach. Will correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it was like 14.1% or something last year when we did this. You know. It's been right around, I think it was 7% the year before that. So it's going in the right direction. The problem is it is still so low right now. The large majority are saying, this is a huge area of opportunity for everyone listening to this webinar. It's moving and way it, too yeah. slowly too, right? Yeah. I mean, we, we have so much information about students. There's no reason, especially in email, that you can't do this. Yeah, and don't overthink it. 
I, I know that's half the problem because I talk with directors of enrollment marketing. I talk with admissions counselors when they're writing their own messaging. And people are telling me, I kid you not, Jeremy, it takes me an hour sometimes to write an email. I get it. I overthink stuff sometimes too. We all do. But at the end of the day, right, take the data from this survey and from other surveys or other things you've done internally and just follow the blueprint that your students are giving you. I promise you, you will see better results if you don't like the results you're getting right now. And a tip out there, and Jeremy, tell me if you've done this. If I'm writing an email, if I'm writing something I need to sound like me, I don't type it out. I use I use voice typing. That way I can just speak it as I would say it and it comes right out. I've done that. And what I do every single time I write an email for a client of ours is I literally read it back every single time so that I can say to myself, okay, if I got this, is this going to get my attention? Is this going to sound like it was written for me? And so I know a lot of people do the same thing. But again, it's little nuances. And hopefully you were able to take a few things away there that you can literally use this afternoon, tomorrow, or at worst, later this spring when you're starting to have more outreach to this junior class that will be seniors. Email, all right, continues to be the preferred method of communication for students when they go through their college search. We've been hearing that every year we've done this survey. And as I said, every year that we have done additional research at Tutor Collegiate Strategies, which is, you know, since 2014, email has been the preferred method of communication. Uh, my honest opinion is students default to that because they look at it as a safe interaction to where they can open it if they feel like, all right, they don't have to open it. They can respond if they feel like. It's not like a phone call where if they choose to answer the phone and had no idea you were going to call, now they feel stuck, right? Or a text where they feel like, gosh, I really should respond. Email is something, again, that they're used to, and I think that's part of the reason why they default to it. But also for you all listening, email is a great medium to use because it allows you to scale it and obviously send large amounts of messaging to different groups of students, hopefully that you're segmenting and personalizing. So email will continue to, I think, be the preferred method of outreach. And Will, if you want to go to the next slide, I believe it's 50, what, 59% of students say, hey, one email a week from a college is what I'm okay with. And that also has been a pretty consistent number over the last few years. That has not been, oh, it was 30% or 70%. It's been in the mid to high 50s pretty consistently. So what does that mean? Am I telling you you can't send two emails to a student a week? No, you can 100% do that. But always ask yourself before you hit send, what is the value for them and not you or your school? And if it's not clear to you, please, please, please pause before you send the message, all right? Because there's a lot of schools listening to this, and I know I've brought this up in previous webinars before, but it's still happening, who are sending, I'm I'm 100% sure of this, six, seven, eight, nine emails a week, all throughout the course of the cycle. That's what you're competing against, which all of you can't control. So I just encourage you to control what you can control, which is try to limit it, all right? to one or depending on the time of year or the message you're sending, a couple a week, knowing that you also have other mediums that you can be communicating through and that students also tell us they want a little bit of everything. They like direct mail. Direct mail feels a little foreign to them. It feels more personal when again, it's written the right way and when it's relevant. They love text messaging, but again, they want it used a very specific way. And yes, believe it or not, even though phone calls freak the majority of them out, more than you think are okay with it, 
if you schedule the phone call and if there's a good reason behind the phone call and if it's actually planned out. So email will continue to be the primary way you communicate, but understand it's a mix of communication that students want. And the key is, number one thing I hope you take away from this part, it's not about just sharing massive amounts of information that's all on your website. That's what too many schools are doing in their email outreach right now. It's let me tell you everything that's all on our website. What you need to do is you need to take the bits and pieces off your website that you know students look at most, right? Your financial aid, how you try to make it affordable, what it's like to live on campus, right? The clubs, the orgs, the location of your school, the classes, the relationships with professors, the resources. And you need to find bits and pieces of each of those and present them in a way to different student populations that feels like you're having a conversation with them that then also at the end of it, when you have your call to action, encourages them to engage and say, Jeremy, thanks for sharing that with me if I'm sending something to Will because I'm his counselor. Here's the answer to that question you asked me as a call to action. Here's what I wanna know more about versus always feeling like it's a transactional ask. I can tell you from secret shopping that I've had multiple colleges over the course of a year averaging three and four emails a week, which is way too much for anybody. Control what you can control. Like I said, you can't control what everybody else is doing. That's going to continue to happen. When you are sending emails, when you are doing any sort of outreach, students have made it clear the number one influencer that gets them to take action, gets their attention, gets them to potentially engage with a message that you send is when you incorporate the current student point of view. All right? Students don't know what they don't know. And even if you're an admissions counselor listening to this and you're like, but I went to this school and I lived this student experience, so I let me give you some unfortunate advice. You're old in their brain, all right? Don't take it personally, but students are like, yeah, but you're also an admissions counselor now and your job is to kind of like sell me and tell me all these things about this school. I wanna talk with these students who are like going through it right now. Well, you can't connect them with every student at your school. I understand that. And so one of the things that we've seen work very well is to, again, going back to what I just referenced with email outreach, present different aspects of what current students think about all of those parts, all right, of the student experience at your school. So let me give you an example. You wanna talk about what it's like to live in the dorms or the residence halls and on campus. You wanna share some of the cool things that happen, traditions or events, great. One of the ways you might start off your message is, you know what? I know you want to hear from our current students. So guess what? I went and asked them and then it's whatever you're going to share, right? What it's like to live in the dorms, how they got integrated into the community. And then you're going to share a couple current student direct quotes in your message as a way to say, hey, here's what the students think about this. And then you're going to have a call to action below it. That type of messaging we continue to find when we encourage schools to send it or when we create it on behalf of schools we partner with, works super well. As long as you, again, also don't take the quotes that students give you and then try to change them all around so it sounds way too formal. Spelling mistakes, correct. But outside of that, let your current students talk in the voice and the tone that they use and then present that through things like emails. When you do your events as well, student panels are great, but everybody does student panels now. And it seems to be on a lot of the same topics. 
how can you present different points of views right now to help students with things? I'll give you a quick example. We have a school that we partner with in the Northeast who is literally doing some last minute visit days this weekend on their campus. And one of the things they're going to have is student panels and their student panels are gonna be a little different. They're gonna focus more on students talking about A, what gave them the confidence to choose the school that they chose last year? Like how did that process happen? B, all right, they're actually gonna have a segmented part where students who are coming from out of state can go hear from current out of state students about how they felt comfortable leaving, going far away from home. And C, they're also gonna talk more about what advice would I give you as you're trying to make your college decision? They're gonna tie all of that in with other aspects of the current student experience because that's the kind of relevant information, for example, right now that admitted but undecided students need. And so again, just be thinking when you do panels, when you do any sort of outreach, how can you present it differently from every other school? Because that right now is something that unfortunately students are struggling with because everything looks and sounds the same, including your events and including a lot of your emails. When you do it correctly, as you can see, 74% say that current students at a college influence their decisions. And you know, another piece of data, Will, that I don't know if we have in here, but as I was looking, I know it's in the survey. The survey also said the best way to generate interest if you're a school who's not really well known is to find a way to generate some of those conversations with somebody at the school. And that can be the admissions counselor, that can be a current student. But ultimately at the end of the day, right? People influence other people. And so you've got to figure out ways to offer the current student point of view other than when they just visit campus or do a virtual event. Yeah, I mean, getting right into that, you know, with that, if you're not as well known, you know, name recognition really does matter to students. That brand does matter. I mean, they they want to be able to say, hey, I'm going to this college and have people know who that is. So while it does matter to students, you know, we can't just say, oh, we're a great school or we're, we're the best kept secret. No one wants to be the best kept secret. You want to be the best known of who you are, but you can still earn attention. You know, just because you don't have the Nike of colleges doesn't mean that students are just going to write you off. There are things you can do to earn that attention from them. So getting right at that, while 69% of students said that the brand does matter, 11% said that it does not matter. You know, the rest are kind of in between. Eh, it's okay. I don't really think about it. You know, at this consideration stage, still 97% of students said that they would consider a college they hadn't heard of before as long as something happens. You know, the, the most common thing the students said, 59% said that a conversation with someone from that college would make them consider a school they'd never heard of before. So that can be an admissions counselor, of course. I know that's where a lot of minds are going to be going. Uh, we can think about, though, who in your fine arts department is recruiting. You know, think about are you building out a recruiting machine for your arts the same way that you have for athletics? Because over the past two years, we've seen a shift where more students are now saying that the arts matter to them than athletics. So are you building out this recruiting machine the same way? You know, think about your coaches, of course. If someone is interested in sports, they want to hear from your coach. Whether they are heavily recruited or not, they want to be able to talk to the coach, right? Think about your professors, your faculty. 
You know, are they reaching out? Are they taking part in different events? You know, are they communicating with students who are inquiring? Is there a short postcard or something from them? That conversation and that personal attention from someone at the college is a great way to earn their attention, you know, much more so than just sending them postcards saying apply today. You know, also think about influencing the influencers. I talk about this a lot, that you need to be able to think multi-year. So talk to the people who are going to be out there advocating for you. So you don't have to start from scratch every single cycle. 46% of students said that they would consider a college they hadn't heard from before if their counselor recommended it. So how are you making sure that counselors can be advocates for you? 45% said that they would if their family recommended. So do you have family recruitment? Do you have awareness campaigns going out to parents and grandparents? Um, 40% said if they're friends. So think about when you have people on campus for a visit, what can you do to help them advocate for you once they get back into the classrooms? You know, do you have referral programs? Do you have ways to have them go out and, and tell their friends about what a great time they had? Um, and then 6% said that if a religious leader recommended it, they would. So especially if you're a religiously affiliated institution, how are you working with uh, religious leaders and communities who can then advocate for you as well? In terms of the things that offices are sending out, uh, 40% of students said that mail would influence them. And when we say that, of course, it has to be relevant mail. You know, if you send a, a sophomore or a junior something that says apply today, nope, not going to do it. Uh, you know, I've, I've done enough secret shopping. I've gotten enough postcards that all they say is apply today, visit today. Don't tell them they can. They know they can. And they know how to do it. Tell them, though, things that make them want to. You have to earn that attention. You have to make them want to apply. You know, you can't just say apply today and they'll say, okay, and go out and fill out your application, right? Give them something that makes them excited. Oh, that looks so cool. I can't wait to be a part of this. I can't wait to do that. You know, those students look like they're having a great time. Do something that's going to catch their attention. 36% said email from a college that they had never heard of before. You know, so that's a third of students said if they've never heard of you before and they get a relevant email that speaks to them and gets them excited, they would consider you. Send you an email just saying, hey, our application opens on July 4th. Not going to cut it. 28% said seeing a, a college they'd never heard from before on social media would make them consider it. Uh, that's one that, you know, if you're if you have students engaged sharing your content, that's a great way to get in front. One I want to point on here, 9% said digital ads. So that's not very much, right? And this, I think, is where remarketing becomes so much more powerful. If you're just sending out campaigns to generate uh, applications and visits to students who have never heard of you before and they're not well targeted, your digital ads are not going to be very effective, right? You're just throwing money after a problem. That's where you need remarketing. Remarket to students who have inquired, who have visited before, who know who you are, who have visited your niche profile. That's a big part of what we do because students have that awareness already. They're saying, I'm interested in this college. And if they're seeing ads showing them different things, they might see a, a video ad on YouTube. They might see something on their Instagram feed. You know, keeping top of mind and showing them different things that are going to really pique that interest, it's where digital marketing can be so powerful. But sending them an ad in their search results and they've never heard of you before is just a waste of your money. 43% um, of students said that rankings, you know, if they see someone else saying this college is really great at X, that's going to make them more interested in it. 
Uh, 41% said reviews from current students. They want to know what that current student experience is. So there's a lot of ways you can earn their interest and attention. And I would add one thing to that, Will, and, and you hit it on it there with even rankings at the end, giving you all context, right? Well, why do students feel that way? Mm -hmm. Students told us in the survey, we had one of the open-ended questions that we asked is, you know, talk to us. Why is brand important? Why is a college being? Couple of things. Social pressure, number one. Without question, right? They're worried what their friends think. I know this is not a newsflash to anybody, right? They're worried what their family thinks. They want to be able to wear their school sweatshirt or their parents want to be able to go to the high school football game or the supermarket or whatever it is and have somebody come up and go, oh, your son or daughter goes to X? That's awesome. So you have the social pressure. The other thing is there's a perception out there. And the good news is you can change this perception if you're a smaller name school that may not have the same type of recognition. There's this idea that bigger schools offer more opportunities while your students are there. And when it comes to setting them up for school, excuse me, life after graduation, life after college, how can you, all right, reframe the narrative to say, Sure, that may be true in terms of some of these big schools having all these resources, but we're not a small little school over here that doesn't have A, B, C, and D. So let's talk about how our students use it. Let's talk about, through again, sharing the current student point of view, incorporating storytelling, how those things are helping current students, obviously, be set up for success. And so just rewriting the perception of, well, you're a small school, so you must have less resources. Unfortunately, that's how a lot of students feel. And there are a lot of small schools listening to this that have just as many resources, if not more resources, and also all right, have more staff per student than some of these bigger schools who don't have as much staff because they have more students. Yeah. All right, the class of 2023 is even more price sensitive. And, and the sad thing here is most colleges continue to ignore this. Uh, this is something that we've seen over time more and more price sensitivity. Students are saying, you know, I'm not even going to consider applying to this college because of that sticker price, because of that total cost. And I've been saying it for years, you know, this is, we're coming up on the seventh year of our enrollment survey uh, of, of the senior class. Every year I'm out here, you know, ringing a bell saying, you know what, you're seeing this increasing trend. I'm not seeing a lot of colleges resetting prices, lowering prices, doing things to really address this problem. You know, there, there's some great programs out there, the, the Hope Forward program up at Hope College. Love that. Very excited to see how that goes. But most places are just kind of saying, well, we'll just increase the price and then increase the discount. Doesn't work if students don't apply in the first place, though. When we look here this year, and I had to keep double and triple checking this, 91% of students 91% said that they are going to eliminate colleges from consideration based on the total cost. And that makes sense because if you think about every other purchase they make, college does not really fit that mold, right? If I go to go buy a burger and it says $5, I make a decision. Am I willing to pay that or not? I would never say, oh, it's $5. Okay. And then I get up there and see, well, uh, I, I'm ready to pay and I'm only going to pay $2. Okay, but it said $5. I would expect to pay $5. In the same way, that's how students feel about college. You know, this year, 91%. Class of 2022, it was 75%. 2021, it was 73%. And that was the first time that we saw the majority of all income quintiles saying that they were going to eliminate colleges based on the total cost. That was the first time even the wealthiest students were saying, 
yeah, there is a max. I'm, I'm not going to consider a college who says that their cost is over 70,000, 50,000, whatever it is. Pre-pandemic, it rose from 51% in 2016 to 56% in 2019. Uh, and then this year, we had less than half of students saying they would consider a college who's, they would not consider a college whose total cost is over 40,000. You know, that's something that we look here, I, I broke it out because we saw this uh, even even more um, more acutely aware for first-generation low-income students, that if that's sort of your market, if that's who is, is looking at you, you know, you can't really keep assuming that people will will respond to big scholarships. I mean, yes, the total cost in the end does matter, but they're making that decision whether or not to even consider and apply based on what that sticker price is. So, you know, we have to think about, okay, we can tout our outcomes all we want, but if a student says, you know, at 40,000, I don't know that I can get enough scholarships to make it something I can afford, I'm gonna go look at this other college. Maybe they don't have the same outcomes, but at least I know I can afford to go there and get my foot in the door. Uh, so this is something that I know it's a campus-wide thing. Uh, so hopefully this is something you can go back and advocate for as well, but we have to rethink this. We cannot keep doing the same thing, expecting different results. And I would add a couple of things, and this is something I, I talk a lot with everybody from VPs, directors, right down to brand new admissions counselors about the way that colleges and universities are currently talking about and presenting financial aid is broken, right? Mm -hmm. We know this. And if you don't believe it, I'm telling you, students believe it's broken. I believe it's broken. Let me explain. Too much of this conversation gets crammed into, you've applied, right? Now we're gonna start hammering you to fill out the FAFSA, or we're gonna send you your financial aid award, and we're gonna try to talk about it all in one or two conversations. There is too many moving parts to how a student and family pays for college, let alone how the financial aid process works, let alone, unfortunately, every school does it differently. There is no universal system to financial aid. The way you present this has to change. Here are some things I want you to honestly consider as you're talking with juniors and the next class on the next. How are you talking about financial aid when you do information sessions or you go visit high schools or you do college fairs? Because if all you're talking about is scholarship mounts and ranges and the FAFSA, you're completely missing the number one most important thing you need to be talking about. You need to encourage students and families to sit down and come up with a plan to pay for college. You need to ask if that's been something they've talked about with their parents, all right? their aunt, their uncle, their grandparents, whoever else is involved in this conversation. That does not happen enough in 2022. And so we get to April 28th and we have so many families who are sitting there and they're looking at different financial aid award letters that they still don't understand. And they're going, we don't know how we would pay these bills when they come due. This has to be something we start to address, all right? Much earlier in this process, and then reiterate at different points over and over and over. But it has to, again, be done in a way that feels personal and feels relevant based on where the student is at in the process. And so give sophomores, give juniors right now things that they should be thinking about and tips when it comes to, all right, understanding how to approach not only having a plan to pay for college, but understanding how do colleges ultimately get to that bottom line number. Don't try to cram that into a huge long email. 
Don't try to send a seven page financial aid brochure with all kinds of numbers and acronyms on it that they're not going to read, let alone understand. It's piece by piece by piece. And as students hopefully engage because you're encouraging them to with some of this content during events, during messaging that you send out, you and your staff can continue to have conversations that will help them start to feel a little bit more comfortable then by the time they get to the senior and they've applied and they've got their financial aid package, they're still gonna have all kinds of questions, but there'll be a lot less questions for so many families if more colleges and universities start to do some of this. Yeah, and really be a partner and start the process helping them plan what's reasonable per month or what's reasonable total. Are you willing to take out loans? Help them see the whole process in advance. All right. And this is one that I, I'm going to try to not pull out my soapbox on this one. Most students still don't understand or even believe test optional and test blind policies. And this is one that that baffles me. And, and there's so much misinformation and misunderstanding. And there's a lot that needs to be done from all different sides on this. If a college says that it's test optional, you have to tell students what that means. They don't know what it means. Because if you say, well, you can send it or not. If you send it, we'll look at it. If not, we won't. Okay, what does that what does that mean? You know, what what scores should I send in? You know, if I don't send it in, are you going to assume I have low scores? What I mean, get it all that because they're being told by some people that, oh, secretly colleges still want you to send it. You know, there's a lot of money being made by people who do test prep and, and things like that who want students to keep taking the tests. You know, so if you have these policies in place, tell people what they mean, make it easy to access, you know, address it in your communications, address it in your events, you know, tell them how the process is done, tell them what this means so that they don't have to leave guessing. You know, 72% of juniors said that they thought they still needed to submit their test scores because if they didn't, they would be disadvantaged. You know, if you have, especially if you have a test blind policy, and students are saying, well, I still have to submit their test scores, right? Obviously, there's a misunderstanding there, right? You need to really explain this. It's getting a little bit better. Last year, it was 75% didn't believe it. So tiny, tiny moves. Uh, you know, in a, in a decade, we'll start getting uh, in a better spot. But, you know, this has to change, right? And, and the thing here is most students who think this aren't being told specifically only 35% of students said that they were being told by a counselor, by a friend, by a family member they still had to submit. Okay, that that's that I can understand. They're they're actively being told, but what instead they're seeing is things on social media. If you go to our applying for college on Reddit, you'll see this come up. You know, there's this 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 confusion and this sense of okay, I I, I think I might need to. Okay, well if I don't, I only get one shot at this. You know, tell them right off the bat, when do you want to see a test score? When does it not matter? Especially if you're test blind, say, don't even bother sending. We do not care. You know, if you are test optional, tell them when you do want to see it. What what set of circumstances would make you say, okay, I want to see the test score to help make the decision? You know, my, my own little soapbox moment is everyone who is test optional should really be test blind because there's nothing ambiguous there at all and we already know that the test scores are not predictive of anything except household wealth which may, if that's what you want to measure then be upfront about that 
so go ahead and and talk about this put out the resources make sure that you can be as clear as possible so students are not confused on this all right and when we get to social here tiktok that's still the shiny object right everyone says oh we need to have a tiktok account because the, the, all the cool kids are on tiktok all right um instagram is still the only network that they expect you to be on you know just because students are on a network doesn't mean that they want to see you there right there's a reason they left facebook in the first place as soon as mom dad grandma grandpa all get on all of a sudden they want to be somewhere else you know they are there for different reasons than college search when we ask them what they used for college search instagram still the the biggest one there 67 percent of students said that they have used uh instagram to view college profiles uh, and get a better feel for the college that's the only place where the majority of them have TikTok surpassed youtube by one percentage point uh, it's up to 30 percent of students said they use TikTok. uh 29 percent youtube twitter passed facebook there as well not surprisingly facebook uh dropped another 50 percent in usage uh among among college students um college going students so so we have you know all these things here the thing i want to point out look at those first three there that emphasis is on video right students want video content they want short video content your five minute walkthrough of campus okay great if you have that if students want to view it great but you need much shorter punchier pieces you need things that are going to catch their attention speak to them with current student voices they're going to be something where they can see what that experience is really like you know do walkthroughs of, of dorms have a student talk about hey here's uh, like a fast forwarded day in the life or here's my dorm room here's what i really love about this here's what i really love about this program uh you know here's my my real feel for what's going on on campus make it short videos have some great great photos in there too i can't emphasize enough use social listening so that you know what's going on you can engage with students don't let things just languish out there if a student uh is asking questions on social make sure your social team is able to answer those questions and direct them to people who can help them don't just ignore it. i can't tell you the number of times i've seen students commenting on on social posts in different places and the college does nothing you know there's no excuse for that your social team should be trained and able to do that you know i i, I ran social for seven years i mean this was back in the we olden days but you you want engagement it's a social network right think about what social means it doesn't mean you come up and say oh i really love this place another person just stares at you that's not very social is it i mean i know for two years we've been inside a lot but let's let's engage a little bit more make sure that we are active on these and at the end of the day right what you're posting on social please don't overthink it you know we've been telling you this as well for a couple of years um, but i'll reiterate it to anybody who hasn't hasn't joined us over that time or hasn't seen that previous data students have made it clear back to the current student point of view that we hit on earlier that's what they want here they don't want admissions counselors necessarily doing stuff unless for example it's a quick short video explaining for example to will's point about something test optional related or talking about some aspect of financial aid something that makes their life easier that they're okay with right but they don't want information vomited all over them on social because you're like well they didn't open the emails they won't answer my calls they don't seem to do this so like i'm just going to go because they're on TikTok. they want the current student point of view but from your current students 
And that doesn't mean giving away passwords. What it means is getting with your enrollment marketing team or your team that runs social and figuring out how do we go and find ways to involve our current students, get them to ultimately come up and record their own content, then share that with us. And we get to make obviously the final decision as to what goes out, knowing full well, again, that what they want to see is authentic, just day in the life content about all the different things that make up your student experience. And you can repurpose the same content. You can take the video that you're putting on Instagram or on Reels, right? And put some version of it on TikTok, put the full length version on YouTube. You do not have to come up with three completely all right, separate pieces of content from all right, all these different videos for those platforms. Just like, yeah, go ahead, Will. I mean, just like your email and everything else, social has to be a dialogue, not a monologue. You know, invite conversation. If it sounds like you're just standing there with a megaphone talking at them, that's not social. The same way your emails, if you're just feeding them information and there's no two way, it's not effective. And this is another way to utilize your current students. It ties into everything, as I said, that we talked about earlier with your brand and gaining name recognition and getting people to pay attention. Let your current students talk and do the, we don't want to use the word sales or selling, right? But let them influence these prospective students who are trying to learn more debating about taking these next steps with your college. You know, I think the biggest thing before we dive into Q&A that Will and I want to reiterate at the end of the day and something that I know definitely caught both of our attentions when we were talking about the data in the initial stages, students are starting their college research earlier. You know, I don't remember the exact data, so I'll leave that up to Will if he wants to interject with it here in a sec. But at the end of the day, more and more students are saying, by the time I get to be in the middle of my junior year, like I've done something, I've gone to Google, I've gone to a bunch of websites, I've started to try to think about what I might wanna major in, I've talked to my high school counselor, I've talked to my friends, maybe I've taken a campus visit. Ultimately, students are not waiting until the end of their junior year, the summer before their senior year, for the most part, to say, all right, now I need to focus on this thing called college. Too many schools, unfortunately, continue to only message one group of students at a time. The content you create via email, right, via different social campaigns, whatever it might be, you can use that same content to communicate with underclassmen. You just have to segment and have what I would call version A and version B. Meaning you realize you're talking to a senior who's an inquiry versus a senior who's an admit versus a senior who's deposited. And you can send the exact same message to a junior, but recognize through the language you use, I know you're a junior and you may not know this, or you may not have thought about this, and the rest of the message can be the exact same verbiage you use to those seniors. So you don't have to come up with a completely different complo and think of, well, what am I supposed to talk about? You talk about all the same value points with every single class. It's the way you present them. It has to be more relatable based on the group of students you're talking with. And so I encourage anybody listening to have conversations with their admission staff, with enrollment marketing, if that's a different division, or even if it's the same division on campus, how are we going to start to have more outreach to more than one class every single year? And then just keep in mind at the end of the day, right? A lot of you on April 28th are trying to figure out how can we convert these admitted students and ultimately get them to confirm or deposit. Students overwhelmingly continue to tell us, I make decisions based on how I feel. 
when I feel like this school wants me more, when I feel like this school cares more, has done a better job building a relationship with me, has explained how the student experience is going to go, has taken away fears, has answered, has done all of these things, conversion happens. And conversion always isn't just depositing. Conversion is juniors right now going, huh, this school started a conversation with me in a different way, made it about me, didn't overwhelm me with a bunch of information when that counselor visited my high school, all right, or when I did that college fair virtual event, I think I'm gonna sign up for a campus visit. That's conversion. You just converted a student who was a prospect or a suspect, as we like to call it, into what I would call an inquiry. And it's the same thing converting inquiries into apps. Those type of things happen when connections are created, but they have to be created over time. And so consistency matters too. And, and that, that data you were referencing, it was 72% of students said that they started their search actively in the freshman and sophomore year. Last year was 56%. So yeah. yeah. Big jump yeah. there. Yeah. All right. We've got quite a few questions. Uh, we had quite a few come in already on during here live. So if you have a question, drop that in. We'll go a, a little quickly through these. Uh, first one here, what was the most surprising response? You know, for me, I think the, sp the spike in price sensitivity, but we already, we already covered that, the increasing early. But I think for me, those were, those were the two that really jumped out. And for me, Will, it was without question, as I was telling you when we jumped on, the data around communicating with parents of prospective students of juniors Two-thirds of students in this survey who were juniors told us, like, we don't want you sending, you as a college, email and mail to our parents in this process. Mm -hmm. We want it to come to us. But if you are going to send them stuff, what you should send them is the financial aid stuff. I just want to reiterate, does that mean Will and I are telling you, okay, you don't need to talk to parents? No, no, the exact opposite. You do. It's just understand students are trying. They don't know how a lot of them, but they're trying to take ownership of this process, right? They want to try to make more decisions through this process. They just need you as somebody who works at a college to guide them. And one of the ways you can guide them is by recognizing whether they know it or not, they're gonna rely on their parents because in the same boat, 80% of juniors in this survey said, uh, yeah, my parents are helping me with my college search right now. Mm -hmm. And so they're gonna have those conversations. Please, please, please do not wait until the admitted stage to try to start communicating with parents. What's the top items that students say will cause them to not apply? You wanna take, take this first? Well, without question, I would say there's two big things we see every year, all right, that hold students back from applying. Number one, it's the price conversation that we had earlier and, and the data as we'll hit on continues to go up. Um, locations, the other big non-negotiable and none of you can change your campus's location, right? You see in surveys like this, yes, students are open to it when they're a junior, right? The problem is the longer this search goes on, unless there's some significant thing pulling them to potentially leaving Indianapolis or Indiana where Will and I are both located and going to Boston or Seattle or Florida or wherever it is, they have family there. You have a summer home there. You went on vacation there as a family for 10 years, something pulling them there. Ultimately, at the end of the day, a large majority of them are gonna be like, well, there's a lot of options like this a little bit closer to home. And so, at the end of the day, they also don't apply to a lot of these schools because they're like, I'm probably not going to go there at the end of the day, even though initially it sounded like it might be a fun idea or something to do. Yeah, I think the, the price, of course, is a big one. You know, what's that sticker price? Uh, pulling from other sources here, too much spammy and students will even say needy behavior. Uh, you know, if you're if you're constantly saying, please apply, please apply, please apply. 
they see that as being really needy. Uh, you know, I think the app experience, we, we uh, have a survey running right now that I'm going to pull a couple from here, but the application experience where students are saying either it's way too long, it's confusing, it's difficult, it's not mobile friendly, that costs your applications. Uh, and, and there was an interesting one where we're asking about campus factors. You know, what is a must have or I want a campus to have there versus I do not want to attend a campus that has this. There's only one item so far that is a detractor where most students are saying they do not want a campus that has this, and that's Greek life. Uh, and that, that's interesting, you know, that that right now is the only active detractor is if you have Greek life, more students are saying they do not want to attend a college with it. They're saying they do. And the best advice I can give you, all right, ask them why. Why do they feel the way they feel about any of this stuff, right? Because one will tell you one thing and one will tell you another thing. Next one we have, what is one area of experience where students feel like they're not getting enough communication from colleges on, right? Will I'll let you take this first. Yeah, financial aid is always high on what students say they want to hear about, they have to hear about, you know, early on, start talking about it, um, provide those experiences and, and you know, think about, and there is no one size fits all here because it's about relevance. So really tailor your conflows. If a student says, hey, I really, number one priority for me is playing soccer, then don't lead everything off with their major and their extracurriculars. Okay, let's have, let's have that conversation about the soccer team and that experience. Okay, what's it like to be a soccer player who's majoring in biology? What's it like to live in this residence hall as a student athlete? Tailor your conversations around what they say is most important to them. Uh, that, that's my advice. There is no one size fits all bucket of do this and, you know, because every student is going to be different. You have to really have a well-segmented conflow. And if you want to know how to figure that out, because every student is different, I'll give you an example. If you're trying to communicate with these juniors right now, whether they visit or not, because that's important too to recognize, for example, in a piece of outreach, an email, for example, you might send. Here's a call to action that you could ask them in your next email. All right. I'm the counselor. I'm sending a message to Will. Will, tell me the number one thing you want to know about being a student here. That's your call to action. Because if Will cares about soccer, he's going to say something about soccer. If Will doesn't care about Greek life, he's not going to talk about that. He's going to talk about something else. If Will cares about the arts, he's going to talk about that. If Will wants to know about his classes and his major, the bottom line is put the ball back in their court, but do it in a way, right, that allows them to offer feedback as to, again, what's important to them versus you saying, well, I'm just going to assume you want this, so I'm going to send this to you. All right. How can you engage with juniors who have preemptively dismissed pursuing a college education? Yeah, and that's a tough one, right? Um, but I, I hit on the importance of why in a lot of different conversations I have with admissions counselors and EM leaders, and this is this is another case of you, you've got to understand why a student feels the way they do, you know? And I'll use my neighbor who's going through this right now. Uh, I have neighbors who have a daughter who's a freshman in college and have a son who's a high school senior and their son has no clue what he wants to do, zero. And they've made it clear to him that even though they can afford to help send him to college, we're not sending you to a four-year school if you have no idea just so you can go be a student and try to figure it out as you go, right? He has no idea. And so ultimately, right, they've encouraged him. Well, then you know what? We're going to go start. You can get a job somewhere and you can decide six months or a year in if it's what you think you want to do for a career. You want to go try something else or you think college is now where you want to go. So there are juniors right now 
all right, who don't know what they want to do with the rest of their life. That's the large majority of them, all right? Because the narrative, unfortunately, in the media is by the time you get to college, like you're supposed to have all this figured out. Yeah, I think we all know that's not realistic. So understanding, well, why do they feel that way? Well, some of them don't know what they want to do. That's issue number one. Some of them don't think they can afford it. That's issue number two. There are other issues, but both of those are two big ones. Just having a conversation and getting feedback from them as to why they feel the way they do, you will have opportunities then to reframe conversations. And in some cases, a student will be like, oh, I didn't realize that. Oh, that makes complete sense. And now they may open the door back up to continue to learn more about your school because they actually understand it is a possibility or they actually understand even if you don't know what you want to major in, there's all kinds of people who can help you. And here's what that path looks like. So what's the tool that moves the needle to get students to action? I, you know, I'm going to say there is no tool. There are processes you can do, but there's not a, oh, well, flip this switch or buy this product and suddenly you'll get all the students to engage with you. You have to build relationships. You have to speak to what matters to them with segmented outreach, with one-on-one -on -one relationship building. That's what's going to get students to take action. You know, telling them to apply again doesn't make them apply. Telling them something gets them excited to apply well. Yeah, it's consistency. It's all the things Will just said, and it's doing that over the course of time. It's not doing it once, right? And again, each of you can only control what you can control, and that is important to remember. But it's hopefully leadership understanding, okay, if we can get everybody on the same page in all these different departments to all make it feel more personal, to all make it feel more relevant, that's going to give us a better chance over the long duration. All right. What are the most popular and trusted sources juniors look to for information? Yeah. You know, we've we've asked this a number of ways. We've actually had um, an outside source do do some research for us as well. Um, we know that that niche is the most visited, um, gets the most traffic. Uh, half of students uh, attending college have a niche profile. You know, that's. I, I think there's the the question here. I think you should be asking too is other people. So, you know, who really matters in their life? Is it their parents? You know, is it their counselor? Is it a CBO? These are the things that, that can also make those, again, influence the influencers, have people advocate for you. Those are going to be some trusted sources there. Yeah, and the two biggest college search engines, and we'll hit on them, right? It, it's stuff like Niche, but it's your website without question, and then it's Google, right? I mean, those two things, that's where students go and start this search. When they want to know how to do something, just like all of us, they go type it in there or they go to your website. You know, mm -hmm. do you have a website set up the way it needs to be set up? Because you can segment and personalize your website just like you can your emails, right? Do you have separate such, excuse me, separate areas for families? Do you have separate areas if you're a sophomore, a junior, a senior? Or is everything just thrown into stuff where they're scrolling and scrolling and there's massive amounts of images and links and it's, it's just too much to process. The number one place, again, to start, if you have any say in it and you're listening to this, is your website. But I will tell you, if you don't have control of that, it's still, how do you influence the influencers like Will said? All right, are juniors visiting colleges during the college search or are they waiting till they're seniors or waiting till they're admitted? Is this going to be the same as pre-pandemic? Um, looking at, at the data from students, 28% said that they already have visited and half of those have already taken multiple visits. So yeah, they, they are visiting. 
Uh, we don't have years back before. Um, so unfortunately, we, we don't have a 2016 version of the junior survey uh, to say. Um, we did say only 6% say they don't plan to visit at all. Though. So, Yeah, and I would tell you, we've started to, um, you know, two collegiate strategies, add this question onto a lot of the additional survey research we do when we partner with schools on training and communication work. And it's, it's in the early infancy stages, but what we're starting to see is more and more students are saying, I'm not taking visits until after I've been admitted to these different schools. You know, it's a time issue. All of us, right, time is at a premium. It's how do I get there? If I don't have a car, if my parents won't let me drive, if it's three hours away, like a lot of planning, a lot of organization and logistics go into this. And students don't have time for the most part, all right, to go visit 10, 15, 20 colleges. And so, so many of them are like, let me see where I get admitted first, whittle down my list, and then I'll start making decisions. Okay, at the beginning of the pandemic, there was this thought that students might elect to stay closer to home. You know, is that panning out? What's the current junior thinking about this? Yeah, and I would tell you, I, I hit on this earlier, and I hope it wasn't confusing to anybody. So I'll try to make sure it's, it's clear here. There's no question students are open to the idea, the large majority of going to college, like more than 30 minutes, an hour, two hours. You know, the data we use on this survey is four hours or more. The large majority tell us 100% I'm open to it. But what I always tell, and this is something for any of you listening to this or any leaders listening to this that they need to talk about with their staff who recruit, all right, secondary markets that are, you know, out of state, farther away, again, four hours or more, you need to ask some very direct, specific, intentional questions of those students and parents as quickly as possible through your comms, when they visit, through other different mediums. What is pulling them to looking at a school, for example, in the Chicago suburbs, if they live in Florida, if they live in California. And if a student or parent can't verbalize something that clearly has been thought out to you, that is a red flag. That is you saying, okay, I need to dig. I'm not gonna forget about this student, but like, I need to dig. Because a lot of students right now are just like, I wanna get away from my high school peer group. I don't like them. Unfortunately, some people are like, I also don't like my family right now and I wanna get away from them too, right? But at the end of the day, a lot of students don't end up doing that unless they have a good reason to do it. And if you have some unique major that most schools don't have, sure, that can be a pull, right? If you unfortunately are you know, in a state where guess what, the sun doesn't shine very much, like that's a real thing. Students wanting to go to college in an environment that feels more positive and upbeat. I talk with high school counselors all the time about this and they're like, Jeremy, I hate this narrative out there because what people at colleges don't understand, like I hear this from students all the time, like this is a real thing. Like I'm depressed because of things like the weather. Just understand that if you're asking the right direct intentional questions and students aren't able to verbalize a concrete reason as to why they're considering your college, if you're that far away, proceed, but proceed with caution and continue to try to get them to verbalize over the course of time, should they choose to take some next steps, what the poll will be and why they could see themselves doing well at your school when they have other options that are closer to home. Yeah. Do you have time to hang on for, for a few more questions? 110%. I love Q&A. Let's do it. All right. And and for anyone who does have to jump, thank you for the time. Uh, the, you'll get the recording tomorrow. I'll also be uh, in, the, in a podcast feed if you want to listen to the Q&A portion here. 
But thank you all for joining if you do have to jump. Okay, how are students realistically evaluating what college is right for them? Are they weighing all the factors, the cost, location, opportunity, or are they mostly following what their family and friends are doing? Yeah, it's all it's all situational, as you might imagine, right? I mean, at the end of the day, we know there are some things that students care about most, you know, and, and we've alluded to this, but just to reiterate it, when they start their search, a school having whatever they think they want to major in, 100%, right, matters. But then it's things like, a lot of students have this vision of, well, what's it going to be like if I go to a school of 25,000 students? What's it going to be like if I go to a school of 1,200 students, right? And some want one, some want the other, some have no clue what they want. But it's understanding, again, through asking very direct, intentional questions, especially in the messaging you send. This is why it's so important to change a lot of those calls to action in your email campaigns that we talked about earlier away from always being visit, apply, deposit, which again, you can use those, but use them, all right, on a smaller scale and ask direct intentional questions around things based on actions that have or have not been taken in the greater the stage the student is at. Try to figure out how important location is going to be in their college decision. Try to figure out if they think they want a school that offers more opportunities and can only find that at a school that has 20,000 students. There are all kinds of things you can do and learn if you're willing to ask direct intentional questions when you either have the opportunity face-to-face -face or again, through messaging that you send, because you might send an email to a thousand students and you might get 19 that respond. And that seems like a really crappy response rate. But if 19 are willing to engage and answer that, right? That's 19 students who have pretty much raised their hand and saying, you've got me, like, I want to talk. Mm -hmm. And if you can even get four or five of those students to sign up for a visitor apply, most of you listening to this understand, all right, the positive ROI that comes from that. Yeah, I mean, students are absolutely weighing a lot of factors, and that can be overwhelming for them. I mean, they're looking at your mail, at your email. They go to your website to find out more. They're going to YouTube. They're going to Niche. They're, they're looking at a lot of information. Uh, there's just, there's a lot to weigh. I mean, yes, their family and friends are part of that conversation, but, you know, for every student, that weight is going to look different. You know, some are going to say, okay, athletics, a number one, the weather, a number one, you know, the, the campus food, you know, do I, do I want to have something where I feel like I'm dining out every night or am I okay with ramen every day? You know, there's a lot for them to weigh and a lot of factors. And that's where we have to be good partners. We have to be good assistants, you know, be there and ask these questions and, and help them figure out what's relevant and speak to that. And if you don't have what really fits for them, we have to be okay too saying, you know, if that is the most important thing to you and we don't really offer it, you know, that's something that maybe this isn't the right fit. Maybe you need to look at this type of college. But if, if we build that relationship, maybe that student comes back later and realizes, oh, okay, that wasn't really the most important to me, but I love the relationships I had there. And that's a place I can really see myself. So it has to be about how do you help them weigh all these things? And how do you help their parents help them weigh all these things? And real quick, Will, the one thing I would add on top of that is if you are wondering, well, what is something that's rising in importance that they care about that helps influence their decision? It's 100% student outcomes, mm -hmm. right? That is becoming more and more important in every survey Will and I have done and in all these other surveys that we do at Tutor Collegiate Strategies. Students want to understand because the cost of college keeps going up, right? 
how are you going to set them up to hopefully, right, earn money back in a nice, quick fashion there to pay back, for example, if you want them to take out some of these student loans? Mm -hmm. How is the path going to happen from getting them to be a nervous freshman to a confident senior who has had experiences, had internships, done all of that, and feels ready to go be successful in whatever they want to do? So if you're not explaining that in a way that feels personal and relevant, that's another opportunity for you. Yeah. We had a lot of great questions come in. Uh, let's see. We'll go with the first one here. Uh, Chelsea is asking, how do we tackle the challenges of emails landing in their junk mail? Uh, you know, that's something that, number one, they shouldn't automatically be going there unless students are reporting that this is spam, this is junk mail. Uh, so part of that is making sure you have a good sender score, making sure that you aren't sort of checking the boxes of spammy behavior. You're not emailing them too much. I mean, to, to really show up and be relevant to them, number one, subject line, right, Jeremy? Subject line has to catch their attention. They aren't going to open it. That's not going to help you if it's not something they feel like they want to open. Do they recognize the sender? You know, is it coming from a person they know? Or is it coming from a string of letters and numbers? Because I've seen that happen from colleges. You know, their system, they don't change the default. And so it's coming from A5632 at whatever, you know, Make sure that you're setting up something that people will actually open. That's the number one thing. And there are keywords. I mean, you can all go to Google and just type it in. There are keywords, again, that if you put in the subject line are going to trigger spam filters on a lot of different email servers. And that's really easy to stay on top of if you're paying attention. Yep. Okay. Uh, so, so Jeremy here, what, what if emails are coming from different senders? I, I, have a, I have a strong thought here. But so you have, for example, an email coming from the visitor center one day, and then the next day it's coming from an admissions counselor, and then it's coming from the, the office of whatever. Yeah. You can have emails, all right, come from multiple people, but the keyword is people, okay? Mm -hmm. You're going to have a better chance to get engagement and to create opportunities for conversations when whatever you send, all right, comes from people. I literally just finished a comm audit for a school in Missouri, okay? And they have all of their event messages come from their, you know, I can't remember her title, right? But campus visit coordinator events person, which is totally fine. But again, how is that message going to feel, whether it comes from that person, an admissions counselor, the director, the dean of student life, how's it going to feel personal and relevant, right? And one of the ways that I shared in the comm audit with that school is, all right, have it come from this person whose name happened to be Lori, but have Lori somehow every now and then connect the dots because you put that student's counselor name in because you know they've had a conversation with their counselor. Hey, Will, I know you've been talking to Jeremy about this, blah, 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 blah. Something that, again, feels personal and relevant. It's really hard to do that when the admissions at EDU address is the address you're using. And then you're like, but Jeremy, at the bottom of the message, I put the counselors, here's your contact, your counselor. They don't usually read that far down. They're not going to see that at the bottom in most cases. Yeah. And, and in terms of frequency, you know, if you, if you get five emails in a week from four different email addresses, that's way too much. All your communication needs to flow through the admissions office. You, know, you can't have these rogue messages coming from all over campus. Well, because this person wants to send an email. Okay. They work with you and make sure that it fits into your nurture flow. Yeah. So you're not just sending them a whole bunch of emails that might sound different, might look different, they're formatted differently, coming from different people they've never heard of before. Everything flows through admissions. You own the process. 
that that's yeah. just an important and, part and you have this. to connect the dots for them all right yeah. you can have other people that's not what we're saying we're not saying admissions can't have secondary messaging all right but does everybody know what's going on when and from whom and at most schools right now the answer is no and that's a huge problem because then it just leads to all kinds of issues with students yeah uh, when it comes to remarketing uh, and digital marketing what would it make what well, makes sense to lead with student forward communications things that are showcasing current students absolutely i mean that's something that i saw a much higher return than do your own a b tests i always recommend this do your own testing but i always saw better returns when i had current students featured or you know if it was a, a search ad include quotes from current students include reviews from current students if it's a video ad feature the students right front and forward you know make sure students are part of your remarketing yeah and ethan penland who's my colleague here at tutor Cleaver strategies and i talk about this all the time uh, we do a ton of survey research with schools when we when we write messaging for them you all anybody listening to this who has any control over this or you feel comfortable encouraging it to leadership you should be surveying your current students at your school every single year and you should be asking them about all of the key aspects of their current student experience that you know you're going to talk about in your messaging and campaigns to prospective students. You should be asking them about what it's like to live in the dorms and why they like the community atmosphere so much and what they think of the relationships with their professors. Then take those student quotes, as I said, and we'll hit on this, incorporate them in those early messages. And we do this for clients all the time. We'll, we'll ask students, give us three words that you think best describes like your school. And you'll start to see obviously trends and popular things. You might in that first counselor introduction type message to juniors, say, Jeremy, as you're looking at different colleges, if A, B, and C are important to you, and that's where those keywords that your students chose, that's how our students, when we ask them to describe what it's like here at College X, that type of messaging 100% can get the student's attention if you done correctly. Uh, so Jeremy here, with students becoming increasingly price sensitive, are outcomes-based marketing going to be as effective at mitigating some of those concerns in terms of job placement, payment starting, uh, you know, career counseling advice, things like that? Is that going to be sort of this counteract to price sensitivity? It will help, but it's not the sole answer in my opinion. That is one piece of the puzzle. As I said, you build to that through other conversations over the course of time, knowing that, yeah, some students don't come into your system until they're a senior. Some are in your system when they're a sophomore. It's fine, but you do your best to try to spread out the messaging around cost and affordability over these conversations, knowing that it's just all about figuring out what do they know, what don't they know, and how can I educate them in a way that feels empathetic and isn't overwhelming knowing that even when you do that, you're probably still going to leave them a little confused just because when you talk about money, all right, it's confusing to a lot of people. It's also not a fun topic to talk about. But 100%, you should have dedicated messaging that you send at some point throughout the year that hits on different outcomes. But it's not just saying 97% of our students are continuing their education or employed within six months, a year, like most schools say. Where are they getting jobs? How does that process happen? Who are some of the people on your campus that they go to that work with them to get those internships, that help them rewrite their resume, that work with professors on this project or this, you know, research? It's just more storytelling over the long period of time, as well as hitting on things like detailed outcomes, if you have that information. 
Yeah, I mean, you could tell me that the Rolls Royce has ne- never will break down, and it has all these great things in terms of longevity. I still can't afford it. I mean, it, it, sure, it's nice saying that you have all these great outcomes. You can't afford it on the front end. It doesn't really matter to you, though. Yeah. And what's the path, right? Because mm-hmm. people pay more. Like people pay. You all know this. People pay more for everything in this country every day, mm-hmm. right? Go drive by any Chick Fil A or Starbucks and tell me what you see. You see a line every single place in this country. All right. People sit in lines for fit. You can go find cheaper coffee. You can go mm-hmm. find quicker, fast food that tastes. But all right, between the customer service, between the quality of product, all right, the way things taste in that example, people are willing to do that and they're willing to pay more because they know why they're paying more. And colleges don't do a good enough job, all right, of answering the why in a lot of different situations. <laughs> hey, Jeremy, what's the best method to send video? Is it going to be by email or by text? Yeah, you can do a couple of things. Slate, for all of you listening here, if you don't know this, and I'm assuming many of you do, um, like, for example, you can send video from admissions counselors now in Slate, right? That's a new a new thing in the last few months um, that you can do. I think there's a bunch of ways you can do it. Um, if you have the right kind of CRM, that's a great way. But at the end of the day, right, just creating content that can be on your website, that can be on your social platforms is just as valuable as throwing it in an email. But 110%, if you have the right tech, more and more of it is becoming much easier to incorporate in an email. But then you still have to follow these same rules that we outlined earlier when it comes to like, well, if I was going to write an email, what would I have done? Well, if you're going to record a video or you're going to have a student record a video, how are you not going to sound robotic? How is it going to sound like you're talking with somebody, not at them? How are you going to present the information to where it feels like you're not vomiting? How are you going to connect the dots? All right and try to keep the conversation going. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the big thing too is don't embed the video in, in an email. You know, Don't try and do that. Put links in there to landing pages that have it. And then you yep. can, of course, have additional call to actions on that page, links to other resources, remarket off that page. There's a lot you can do once you get them back there. Yeah. Uh, this one, uh, I hear a lot. I hear time and time again to start communicating with parents earlier in the cycle. Great idea, but it's impractical. We don't get uh, parent names, emails, or mobile number, numbers early enough. Not true at all. Because if you have the student's contact info, you have access to their parent. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, if you have their their home address, you send something to the parents and say, "Here's how you can opt in to additional information. Would you like to receive emails? Would you like to receive a phone call? You know, here's a form that you can go and do that on." If you have access to the student, you always have access to the parent. Uh, I, I've had success just straight up asking a students an email, would you like your parents included in information so you don't have to relay everything back to them? You know, how can we get in touch with them? And you request it right there as a sophomore, as a junior. You don't have to wait until you get it from the parents. You ask the student or you send it to the home. There's always ways to reach the parent if you want to. And I'll give you two more that Will didn't mention. And some of you control this, some of you don't. Look at your request for information, your RFI. Most colleges, it's way too long. And I know multiple schools, all right, that have shared with me, when we lower that number and we even add a link to a secondary page where we might, for example, offer them the chance to put in that completion of the secondary page, let alone the initial page, is significantly higher. And then here's the last one that is super easy and this should be standard practice on every college in America. When a person visits your campus, they should never leave without you capturing that parent information. But ask them, don't, all right, assume they're going to give it to you and explain why you want it. 
And hopefully that's because, you know what, we understand you play an important role in this process and there are gonna be things you wanna talk about and we wanna keep you in the loop, and we, but you then need to have a comm flow that obviously is going to do all of those things. Those are three easy ways, right? Utilizing the student, as Will said, possibly changing some things on your RFI and capturing it when they visit. Even if that only gets you 20% more parent info, I promise you the ROI over a course of a cycle, if you document it out, will end up with a way greater ROI than previously not doing it until post uh, admit stage. Yeah, and the inquiry form is such an easy one. You just shrink down the form and then either it redirects them to the secondary form or you follow up with the conversation. Hey, here's some great information. If you want to provide uh, some more information so we can make sure you get what's most important to you, we have some optional fields like parent contact, like other extracurriculars. Capture what you have to to assign the student to a counselor and you can start con the conversation. But there's no reason. I've seen 40 field inquiry forms. Way too long. I mean, that's an application at that point. All right, last question here. Are virtual tours still relevant? Virtual will always be relevant. You just have to understand that it's never going to give off the same feelings, all right, that students can get when they do things that are in person in terms of activities. Virtual is just another way for saying online stuff, right? Like virtual, virtual is going to watch a video. Well, that's virtual. Right? It's just, is it a live video or is it a pre recorded thing? Virtual 100% will be helpful, especially, all right, if you're trying to get into new markets, for example. But, right, it's understanding the balance of what students want. And if you look at the data in this survey, there's no question that the large majority, I think it was 71, 72% of students are like, I'm excited to get back out there and do some of these things. And I plan on either visiting a school or going to a college fair or talking with some of these high school counselors, that still leaves 30% that says, no, I don't wanna do any of that. I'd much rather go online and like surf at my own leisure or watch. So it's having a balance of both and understanding how do we do that in a way then that hopefully doesn't tax our staff more, right? Because we're not doing it in a way that obviously takes into account how our students feel. And you have to look at your data, right? Because what one school tells you in terms of what works for them, Another school is going to look and go, yeah, but we don't get enough ROI when we do a lot of those in-person activities. So we're going to do a little. It's just utilizing the data and understanding there has to be a balance. And right now, for most students, they're like, we want to get back out there. We want to do more of this stuff because we can't get the same feel when we're watching a video or doing something on Zoom that we can when we're walking around and we can look and we can see what those people are doing. And we can see if people seem to like like this place and are nice to each other and like seem to be happy. So it's understanding the balance and the first place to start is your data. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, I think virtual is always good to have because not everyone can get on campus at first. You know, if, you, if you're here in Indiana and there's a student in Alaska who's interested, you know, have something that lets them pique their interest without hopping on a plane. You know, let them opt in or out earlier. You know, make sure that virtual can give them enough to really pique their in interest, answer some questions, because not everyone has the ability to travel. You know, if they're in a, in a position where they either can't afford or just aren't able to easily get to campus, you know, if they have one car for the family and, and mom and dad work all day, how are they going to get to campus to visit you? So make it something where they can still get the information they need. They can still build the affinity. So don't don't completely bail on virtual anything. Uh, just make sure that's something that's going to add to the experience. 
instead of trying to think of that as the sole experience. So I just want to say thank you to everyone who hung on uh, late here. Uh, I love that there were so many questions we had to go this long. Uh, please keep up the conversation. If you have additional questions, anything like that, you can see our email addresses, our Twitter, LinkedIn. Get in touch. Have a conversation. We're happy to help out. Yeah. And Will and I have had so much fun, you know, doing these surveys. You know, the plan is to continue to do them. I just encourage if any of you have feedback for either one of us on, hey, I didn't see this kind of question. Like, have you guys thought about asking this? Throw in an email to one or both of us. We're definitely open to that type of information as we start talking about the next one. But like Will said, we greatly appreciate you taking some time out of your Thursday to spend some time with us.